Good afternoon and welcome to Central Coast Voices. I'm your host, Fred Monroe. Our goals are to bring you credible, valid information and insights from diverse members of our community. Central Coast Voices addresses how today's choices will affect tomorrow's community and how we look at the long range terms of what's going on in our society and how we are affected by the ramifications of change or in some cases lack of change. We have a fascinating topic today, um, a, a, to- a topic that, that fits into both the issues of employment, education, um, and technology on the Central Coast and how all of those fit together. Um, the job market in San Luis Obispo County, as we know, is challenging. Um, we have an underemployed workforce, and the county ranks number six in the most unaffordable places in the U.S. to live. That's not news anybody probably wants to hear or think about, and all of us probably know about it, but it's a reality we want to talk about. Tech jobs locally, um, which often come with uh, with better wages than a lot of other jobs, is, job, pardon me, jobs, anyway, <laughs> have increased about 20% in the last five years. Um, due to a large part of um, the increase in startups and expanding technology companies in the county, and also the fact that we have um, larger firms moving in and wor- or working with firms that have been here before. Example is that Amazon has a presence locally now. Um, if you don't am- know Amazon has a presence locally now, that's probably a discussion for some other time. Trust me, they're here. Um, Local tech firms have found it very challenging to really find um, highly skilled workers that want to move into the county because the housing costs here scares some people away. Um, and the ability to really train and work with folks to expand the, house, the, um, the job market and technology has become a challenge for a lot of organizations. So in 2014, San Luis Obispo County's Office of Education formed something called Slow Partners, to basically address um, career readiness and college challenges for the county's population. Um, Slow Partners' mission is to engage in business uh, partnerships and education um, to align workforces with both career and college paths. And they've really been providing an opportunity to find ways to sync up a lot of things that may not have been synced before. Um, and some of that involves apprenticeship programs and training that we really put in the category of being outside of the, um, the classic environment of what we think of as a college or technical education. So we're going to talk today about Ticket Into Tech, which is a project of Slow Partners, um, which is part of, as I said before, the County Office of Education. Today I have Ashley Smith. She's an apprentice with this program. Um, Dean uh, Mitchell, who is a senior developer um, at um, Stream Guys, a local tech firm and a company that's working with um, the the uh, the tech program that we're talking about today as a way to channel efforts. And um, Michael Specarla, and um, I've actually got your name right, I think, Michael, the first time, but as I tell people, I'll probably get it wrong at least three or four times, so I apologize on the front end now. Um, Michael's the executive director of Slow Partners. Um, we really want to talk about, and we'll, we'll, we'll talk about, not only what this program is doing, but what the opportunities may be for some of our listeners to really become part of this program, because there are some fascinating educational and, um, and scholarship programs available through that. Um, Michael, probably need to start with you and explain to us what in the world Slow Partners is, how it came about, and what your program is now. 
So I'm the director of Career and College Pathways at the County Office of Education and also the executive director of Slow Partners. And the reason why we created Slow Partners was really to get a number of different organizations out of their silos to be able to work together, um, whether it's the Workforce Development Board, Community College, Cal Poly University, business partners, the various school districts. Um, we really want to make sure that the education that we're providing for young people coming out of high school and wanting to go and further their education really aligns with what the local economic opportunities are. So that's what we're about. Is One, one of the first questions as I was looking at all the material we got, and we got a, a tremendous amount of material about your program and the reasons for it, was where does this, I mean, this is not part of Cuesta College. This is not part of a high school program. It's not part of a university program. So what is the format of, of how you work with students? Um, because I'm, I'm just wondering where, where, your, where your classroom is or your virtual classroom is. So with the apprenticeship program, we were uh, awarded a competitive grant through the California Apprenticeship Initiative. And that's actually was funded through the Community College Foundation. And they were specifically looking for new and innovative apprenticeship programs in technology. So part of what the County Office of Education is doing by pursuing those types of grants is to really pilot and spearhead innovation in terms of training and education and curriculum. That's a great challenge. And the, so the, a lot of the funding came from the Community College Foundation. Um, is there other funding with local firms coming to you to work to keep this program alive? Yeah, so what's important about the apprenticeship model is that the, the foundation grant money was able to get us the seed money to start the program to initially train, recruit, and market the program. But then once we find the business partner who's willing to hire the apprentice, that business partner is paying for the wages of that employee. So that's where it's a nice match in meeting. It's really showing the validity and the credibility that the training is something that the business values. So most of the training is really in an on-the-job environment. Um, there, there's a part of it you have to qualify for, but the, but the actual day-to-day -day education is is between people like Ashley and Dean working together. Yeah, it, with technology, the rapid changes that it, that really is going through – you really need that on-the-job component to really stay up-to-date. But apprenticeship always has a classroom component as well as an experiential on-the-job component because, really, content is important, but the context of that content is even more important, and especially in technology where you've got really um, such a rapid uh, pace of development that you've got to be in there on the scene and having that mentoring relationship and that experience with the company who's always out there problem solving and developing and um, adapting to what the business and the consumer needs are. People pay attention to you when you talk about this. I'm not being sarcastic. I mean, your, your ability to basically make this very clear, because I think for a lot of us who are not in technology, understanding how you can fit that together um, in a less than typical formal education is, is hard to figure out. Um, a lot of us have have kids and we've grown up with kids that have become gamers and work with technology a lot but how they get that information um, to then work with is unclear for those, some of us who I'm the oldest person in the room which is not a surprise um, some of us who are older to understand how it all fits together um, 
Dean, t- tell us how. Okay, we probably need an explanation of what stream guys are. By the way, that's not yeah. two words. On, on on your information, that's not two words. It's one word. Stream guys. That's correct. Okay, one word. So, who are the stream guys, and how did you get involved with this? Well, stream guys is a content delivery network, and we've been around. So, what that means is we do a lot of like audio and video delivery online. So, we started off bringing terrestrial radio stations online, and we've been around for about eighteen years since two thousand. Um, we do the majority of NPR stations, including this one. Uh, we bring it online and stream live <coughs> live streams and make podcasts and available for on demand. Okay, I, I appreciate that clarification because yeah. I was wondering whether or not it's a secret that basically, if if our listeners are listening to KCBX streaming on the internet, yes, um, or through one of their um, their Google or Apple speakers at home, which they can do, that that's come through you, you guys. That's correct, more than likely. Uh, so. You, KCBX is one of our clients, and so generally, the live stream will come from Stream Guys, but it can be uh, it can be ingested through a variety of platforms. So you might be able to listen to it through TuneIn, and that could uh, be broadcast through their servers. But your uh, your origin online, your entry point online, does come through us. Okay, we clarified we clarified that, which is something I never knew. I mean, and I've been doing radio here for quite some time. I did not know how that particular component came about. I just figured it was something NPR did for us. And, <laughs> and um, now I'll be in trouble for saying that. But anyway, um, that's good for that yeah. clarification. How did you get involved in uh, in the Slow Partners program? Uh, well, it's actually pretty interesting and kind of, uh, you know, as Michael and I were talking earlier, out of the blue, we opened an office down here in uh, San Luis Obispo about a little over a year ago. And... Um, we were kind of interested in the tech scene down here. We went to the Slow Hot House, which Dan Weeks is a part of, and he kind of introduced us uh, to a lot of aspects of the tech culture down here, and this happened to be one of them. So uh, our CEO gave him a call one day because we were looking for people to bring on board, and from there, it just organically grew. We just uh, gave a call, started a relationship, and since then have been bringing people on onto the company for the office here. Okay. <laughs> You you brought up an interesting twist to this that I can't let go away. Sure. I'm sorry. So yeah. you're a national company. This is not your home yeah. office locally. What is the benefit of you having a presence in San Luis County? Because my hunch would be what you do for KCBX right. and other NPR stations, you can pretty much do from anywhere. That That is correct. In fact, we're a global company. A lot of our uh, clients are outside the United States. So we originate from Arcata, California, which is about a little over 500 miles north from here. An equally small town. An equally <laughs> small town, yeah, exactly. So this is uh, kind of right up our alley, you know, San Luis Obispo, uh, kind of like the not the San Francisco or San Jose. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, it was uh, coming down to San Luis Obispo kind of opened up a lot of avenues for us since uh, I'm not sure how much you – you know, um, everyone knows about the Arcata area, but uh, it can be kind of isolated. Um, and so there was the opportunity to come down here where there's a large tech scene and a lot of people that are supporting that community, the tech community, and for us to start to get involved with that and expand our, uh, expand our relationships and expand the people who we bring on and people we hire. Yeah, and we've had um, people on the program before talking about the San Luis Hothouse, people both related to Cal Poly and Cuesta College and, uh, and Slow Partners before about how these pieces fit together because it's 
Um, one of the things I think that becomes, um, as an outside observer to this, that important for this community is most of what you're talking about doing doesn't need to be in a large city to do it. We have companies like MindBody. We have um, Amazon that has a presence here. It doesn't matter where they do what they're doing, so the community they're in can be a, a good fit based upon personal preferences as opposed to having to be in the middle of Silicon Valley. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, you do see a lot of that down here, which were, you know, surprised me at least when I first moved down here, that mind body was here, you know, a multi-million dollar company. Uh, you know, there's a lot of, little, you know, Amazon, of course, as you mm -hmm. stated, but uh, there's also a lot of little companies down here that are starting up that, you know, surprised me uh, that it would be here. Virtual reality companies, uh, companies that you don't hear much about that do operations management, mm -hmm. you know, that kind of stuff. And you just find more and more of these companies that are thriving here just because they like the area as a personal preference. And then uh, as you're starting to see more and more, at least over the year that we've been here, because of the community support that's offered to them. Okay. So how does this program give you the ability to have a, um, an apprentice, if you will, in your facility or multiple apprentices in your facility to be part of this program? By the way, Ashley, we're, we're, I'm, this is all a setup, so you can't, you can't <laughs> give me monosyllabic answers about what's going on when we get to gotcha. you. So, okay. right. anyway. uh, so it was great, and I'm going to reiterate something that Dan Weeks has said uh, multiple times, and that just stuck with me the first time I heard it is that he hires for attitude and trains for aptitude screen for attitude train for there aptitude. there we go yeah and that's a, an amazing amazing statement once you think about it because you know and i'm sure as many employers are aware many people working on teams it's uh the most difficult thing about bringing on a new team member is if that person has the attitude to stay with the team to stay with them for uh a long period of time after they've been trained you know because uh some of the most difficult parts of that is, you know, bringing on a new team member is that if you bring them on and you spend the time to invest and train and then they decide to leave or it's not for them or it's, you know, any variety of reasons, uh, that's a lot. That's a, that's a big loss. Okay. Um, so how long have you been part of this program? Um, let's see. I think – a little under eight months. I mean, I, you know, yeah, a little you were under part eight of months. our first cohort. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. So we were right there at the beginning. Yeah. Okay. Um, how many apprentices do you have working there? We have one directly, Ashley, and then we've had uh, two other people that were part of the program um, that work with us currently. Mm -hmm. Yeah, those were the graduates from our pre-apprenticeship. Right, I think so. That's what. I, yes, yes. Okay, Ashley, you can't sit there silently all day. Um, so. Tell me, how did you get involved in this, and how does it fit your goals? Mm, um, I actually kind of had a pre-midlife crisis where I dropped out of grad school. <laughs> um, I was in Boston, and I returned back to California to be with my husband, where he was in grad school, also having a midlife crisis. <laughs> and um, we kind of just changed uh, careers and plans and moved here in a moment where we were like, oh, what are we going to do with our lives? Because we love the area. I went to school at UCSB. And we visited friends up here, and we were just absolutely charmed, and we decided to live here. Um, but there are particular challenges uh, of living here that I think you mentioned before. And um, trying to figure out what I was going to do, I decided tech was probably the right answer. I had a little background in tech. I was in the Navy as an information systems technician, 
and um, I one day out of the blue was uh, Googling um, programs similar to this one, hoping uh, that there was something in the area, and I found Ticket in the Tech. Okay, so you found it. Mm-hmm. What did it take to get involved in it? Um, we had to take a test, <laughs> and there was an interview. Oh, I hate that part. <laughs> but it wasn't... Um, it wasn't a huge obstacle to get involved, um, and it was very uh, supportive, the whole thing. Um, yeah, I, I don't want to say it was, like, a huge obstacle. <laughs> don't sell yourself short, Ashley. <laughs> <laughs> there were over 900 applicants in our first <laughs> cohort. We um, interviewed about 250 to 300 um, by Geek phone. Okay. <laughs> and then we live interviewed 100. So Ashley stood out amongst others. And that's what we mean by screen for attitude, train for aptitude. So how many people were, how, how many people made it to an apprenticeship position from that first screening? So we selected 50 okay. people to enroll in the first part of the program, a pre-apprenticeship program. And that was an eight-week uh, boot camp to get certified in CompTIA A-plus certification, which is sort of a a baseline certification for most IT pathways in which you know troubleshooting and customer service for um, computer specialists. And then we selected 30 of the 50 to be moved on to apprenticeship. And the apprenticeship program lasts how long? So the apprenticeship program then was another six weeks of intensive training, either in IT or in software testing, and then one year of on-the-job training. So they got additional certifications after the A-plus certification. I want to remind folks, if you're just tuning in now, of course, this is Central Coast Voices on KCBX. We are talking about uh, Ticket Into Tech, which is a program that the SLOW partners which is a program of the uh, County Office of Education is working with to basically put people in tech in the tech fields um, into an apprenticeship program with indeed um, companies that are already doing that. We have a representative today from Stream Guys, um, that's Dean, and he actually is um, an employer, and um, Ashley, who's one of our apprentices, and Michael, um, who's the executive director of Slow Partners, and. Um, we probably all have a family member someplace that we wish would get involved in a program like this. And maybe in some cases that isn't possible because their attitude going into this is not what you need. Um, but it's also not inexpensive. This is a program that costs about $17,000, I understand. But you, you have some scholarships, and we'll talk about that a little later. Um, do, you, do you find that most of your applicants are, are challenged by the cost um, or you have enough applicants who are not challenged by the cost that that doesn't become a big factor? So it's with uh, the apprenticeship that Ashley is involved in, in the first cohort, the IT and the software testing, uh, those are grant-funded, and those aren't the same cost as what the $17,000 mark is really for the software developer boot camp, which we just initiated this, um, this summer. So we've got varying, varying levels of what the apprenticeship is from the entry level, which is what uh, we launched last year in terms of IT and software testing. And now we're, we're coupling that with the software developer. So we have the beginning of the pipeline uh, in terms of software, the software testing, mm-hmm. and then the software developer. Um, and Ashley is involved in that program as well this mm-hmm. summer. Okay. A phrase shows up in the materials I got from you guys 
that I need some clarification on. It's the SLO Full Stack Academy Software Engineering Immersion Program. So this summer, we partnered with Full Stack Academy. Um, they run a really successful uh, coding boot camp in Chicago and New York, and they're one of the they have some of the best outcomes among all the coding, coding boot camps in the United States. And they are now in Chicago, New York, and San Luis Obispo. And so the boot camp prep program is a course that's free to see if you're eligible to make it through that kind of a program, whether uh, to prepare you for the test to see if you're eligible for the full stack boot camp. Well, you clarified. I added a question in my own notes because I was trying to figure out what full stack means. So does full stack have a meaning other than it happens to be the name of the company? Um, a full stack developer is someone who knows both back end and front end development. Did I get that right? You <laughs> nailed it. That was perfect. You're the yeah. professional. Yeah, it's, yes. It's, 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 it's like, you know, something I, I felt like, gee, I don't, I don't want to go Google it and, and play with it. I really want to just get a definition from you guys when you're here. So I appreciate that. So pretty much, if if you're if you're competent in dealing with the full stack, you can handle any any sides of the software development. Yeah, yeah. Generally, it uh, is in reference, uh, almost always in reference to web development. And you know, usually there's two sides to that. You'll do the front end, which you look at when you go to a web page. You know, mm -hmm. the styling, the graphics, the kind of layout of that, and then the back end, which is kind of the engine that drives all the data that the front end gets, and. Uh, Previously, uh, there was a, a pretty hard separation between the two. You did back end, you did a lot of coding, you weren't too worried about styling or looks, or you did the front end and you were more a designer. Um, but now lately, the two have become kind of integrated and uh, connected, and so now a lot of people are full stack where they can do the entire, uh, I'm just gonna say an entire stack of technology that relates from all the way on the back end that's driving it, all the way up to the front end to what people interact with. I just just the thought scares me. I, have, <laughs> I, I sometimes have trouble with my cell phone. So, <laughs> anyway, um, well, one of the thing, things looking one of the questions that we asked when we when we put out our questionnaire to people who are going to be guests on it is what misconceptions there are maybe about what you do and how it's done, and the the, the glaring one that that comes out for us with you guys is that there's a perception from a lot of the people who may be the best applicants for you, that they need a tech background, and they don't. This, so this is not about your background. It's about the attitude you, the attitude and perspective you bring to the table. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. absolutely. You, you know, the, you can't, again, you can't really train for attitude that you bring. So yeah. that's, I mean, that's a key component. But also the advantage of having somebody that's a hybrid position that comes from another background that knows something else professionally and then to come into tech and to marry those two together, uh, the skills that you can be, uh, the skills that you can contribute to the team from having that uh, synthesized background with tech is invaluable. Yeah. Ashley, it's radio, you have to talk, you can't just shake <laughs> your head. So how, how did that fit for you, understanding that? Um, yeah, I have a uh, bachelor's degree in anthropology. My original plan was to go into library sciences. And um, as a software tester, I think I use the ideas of diversity and ultimately who are the people looking at this piece of software that we're creating. Um, is I have to keep that in mind because it's not just one person. Um, and that's a big part of what I do. And 
what what is the the learning path for you on this whole process from 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 today or from when you started in this to the point at which you are um, out there in a in a in a specific job that's not a percent percent apprenticeship based position um, what what does that timeline look like and what's what's in the timeline for you um, for me I'm, I'm really hoping to be a developer um, I am enrolled in the um, the night classes with code slow uh, for the full stack prep and I'm hoping to uh, get into full stack and eventually become a developer um, as a software technician is given like a real insight of what kind of developer what developers do and the work that they do every day and um, I think I can do that so it's been a great experience okay um, you said that your your Navy background was um, in IT with some IT mm-hmm. factors involved in that too it was um, imagine a call desk or a help desk but it was on a Navy destroyer <laughs> that's what I did <laughs> It's actually I was in the Navy and the concept of having a like a customer service desk <laughs> on a destroyer, even for me having been in the Navy and stationed on a ship, just doesn't fit in what I would perceive. But but that was also um, pre pre tech days, so mm-hmm. that's um, but that's understandable from that standpoint. Um, Michael, so you have a number of things coming up, and I want to make sure um, we've got plenty of time to continue talking about this some more. But you, you have some, some benchmark deadlines coming up in the next week or so that I think we need to make sure people are aware of if they're interested in this program. Can you um, tell me about some of those? So I believe we have another – we've got a number – we had a number of uh, full-stack prep boot camps going on. We're already fully booked, 75 people taking – the eight-week course that Ashley alluded to, um, 530 to 7:30 with Code Slow. That's already booked, and we already have, I believe, about 125 people taking an online immersive uh, class with Full Stack. There is another cohort starting with um, for the online remote. I believe the deadline for that is August 6. Oh, it's the 15th. Yeah, August 15th. <laughs> <laughs> August 15th, Yeah. Um, so you can sign up for that. And what we're offering for that is, so that you have some skin in the game, put down the deposit. If you go through and complete the course and take the test for the full stack immersive boot camp, we will refund you your money. We want you to have some skin in the game because this is going to get tough. Mm-hmm. So try yeah, it you, out. You don't want people looking at it as just a sport for the rest of their summer while they go do something else later on. Yeah, yeah. Really, what Ashley just talked about is how do you get to be a developer and how do we get more diverse people with diverse backgrounds onto developing teams that are making these products that we as consumers who are very diverse are using. We want to make sure that diversity is involved right from the beginning of designing that product. How do you do that? That's been a challenge for the technology industry. I think we need more people with, you know, backgrounds that are, you know, as diverse as Ashley's is being given that opportunity. And that's really where the apprenticeship program really has its roots in of how do we get these pipelines to how to household jobs. We started with an entry level job that Ashley's got, but she can see a career path in front of her where she can see that had a household job that will make living in an expensive area like San Luis Obispo possible. Okay. So Dean, mm-hmm. when you have when you have Ashley as a new apprentice coming into your environment, um, what do you start with? What 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 is day what did day one look like? And oh boy. by the way, since she's sitting here, we can let her tell her tell us what day one was also. Yeah. But I'm curious what you what you had set up because um 
your expectation and Ashley's expectation were probably both as high and as intense, but may have been drastically different. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure it was. I'm sure the um, the reveal as to what developers actually do every day was uh, quite surprising. Uh, it's not nearly as secretive or clandestine or highly <laughs> skilled as you would assume. But uh, no, we um, the first day is uh, for a while actually. It was just uh, getting some exposure to what we do, uh, the systems and to how we operate. So a lot of it, and uh, you know, I repeatedly, uh, repeatedly said this to Ashley when it started, is you don't have to understand this right now. I'm just showing it to you. And after a few times, you'll get used to seeing it, and it will become, you know, you'll start to finally grasp exactly what you're saying. And what, what I'm referring to is like different systems, the backend code and how it works. You know, you don't have to understand it or grasp it all at once. Just, hey, this is what uh, the code looks like. This is what the uh, servers look like. Uh, and so just getting some exposure to that kind of uh, material and then slowly adapting from there to, and now this is how they function together, and this is how you're going to operate with them, and then uh, slowly building on that. Mm -hmm. Okay. So tell me about day one. Uh, day one. Um, it wasn't as overwhelming as I thought. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it was it was really good. Day one was um, I got to see what Dean was doing, and it, it did feel a little incomprehensible at first. But after day one, it certainly got a lot easier. Um, I think I read in some of um, your promotional material that coding is a, a lot like cooking, and I really believe that to be true. Like for me, it's it can be uncomfortable. You just gotta be uncomfortable and learn a new thing. And um, that's the approach that I've taken. Well, as okay, I my computer skills, as I've said, are very limited. I have worked with some very limited HTML for for a website I happen to have for a uh, for for a music hobby I have. Mm -hmm. And my observation is the good news is I realized very early is that if I went in and did some coding of something, as long as I didn't publish it. I could play with it forever and look at it and tweak it. And so it's not like if I'm cooking something, I mm. either burn it once and throw it out or get it right the first time. So I, I, I'm looking at it from, from, from a layman's standpoint, the ability to kind of test and experiment mm. for someone who's coming into this new um, is probably better than a lot of other career paths. I think so. I think it is because we're working with a team. Mm -hmm. And um, when you're working with a team, like, it's not just your error. It's like it's everybody's error. So everybody works to catch it. Um, and the one thing about code, too, is that you don't have an end product. You don't have a cake that you just immediately eat. You're always <laughs> tinkering with that cake. So there's always room for improvement. Um, and, and that's really – that takes the edge off, I think, a little bit because nobody's really demanding perfection. It, yes, it should work, but you're always perfecting this, this work in progress. Mm -hmm. So, when Dean, with the, the process that, that you're working on, you have a product that, um, uh, for lack of a better way of putting it from a layman's standpoint, shouldn't have to change very much. Oh, um, actually, it changes – Quite a bit. Well, yeah, that, all, all that's what I was going continuously. My hunch is it's it's yeah. it's changing because I would say if if it works today and it mm -hmm. works with let's say streaming um, KCBX to to the uh, to the world, um, what do you need to do to 
look at how you're doing that now that may be different than how you want it to be? So uh, that's actually very interesting because we find we find what we want it to be through its interaction with the people that use it the most. So like KCBX, I mean, we get the majority of our developments and our improvements from the actual users suggesting stuff to us. Um, just to uh, piggyback off what Ashley said, uh, there's one of the great things about, most attractive things about the job and working with a team is every developer is different and they bring something different to it. So you may be looking at code and think, oh man, this is terrific. I wrote something that cannot be approved upon. And then one of the other developers comes and looks over your shoulder and makes a simple statement recommendation and it improves 10 times over. So everybody brings something to the table that can add to the code and that makes it a continuously evolving product. And again, actually makes it invaluable for the skills that come from uh, synthesized backgrounds. So you get that diversity. A lot of the times coders will look at something and I know uh, the rest of my development team sitting back uh, probably listening to this will agree is that uh, there'll be times when we build stuff and it makes sense to us. And we thought we built the best interface or the best feature and then it's totally unusable by the end user. Or maybe they have some improvement and ask why you did this. So getting that insight. Okay. So having someone on your team that didn't come from a tech background, mm -hmm. or for lack of a better way of putting it, hasn't been doing tech since they were seven years old and therefore they've got 20 years of tech experience and that's all they've done. The, the, extra, the outside perspective to the team, which helps in probably anything, I've always kind of felt like all the tech people were just together with all the tech people and um, <laughs> and we didn't quite know what they were doing. But I'm sure that's a scenario in some areas. Yeah. Um, but no, that that outside perspective uh, absolutely is advantageous. Uh, it gives you uh, something that you may not have caught, just like I was saying, where someone comes over and suggests a piece of code or an uh, alteration to your code that improves it. So. Mm -hmm having that outside perspective absolutely helps us. Okay. Michael, I want to get back to some of the things you talked about with as far as how the screening process and what you're really looking for for people to be part of this program. Because when I look at the, um, you know, some of your, your folks sent, sent along some, um, some Bureau Labor, Labor Statistics information about, uh, about this particular type of um, job market and how it's basically going to grow by 24% over the next 10 years. Um, but one of the things that's in here is it really says that typically the entry-level position um, for most people working in tech development fields is indeed a degree in technology from a college. It sounds like even though a lot of your people like Ashley have a college degree, that's really not a key factor for what you're looking for, or is it? What we've found in just talking with a number of tech companies, and we've heard this um, from our colleagues outside of the area even, is there's no degree bias within the tech industry. They understand that if you can get a college degree graduate with a CS degree or a software engineering degree, great. But there's not enough of them to fill the demand. So there just aren't enough places there for them to get a degree. Yeah, the yeah. pipeline from the university will not fill the demand from, from business. And so the technology firms have really embraced the idea of it's not what you, you know, where you went to school, it's what is in your portfolio, what can you do? Because my assumption going into this was that we were going to have to talk a lot about what you need to do as an undergraduate before you ever get to the level of what you're doing here. 
And so the answer is for a lot of a lot of people looking at this is if that feels like a roadblock, um, just get out of the way and jump at what you want to do. Yeah, you shouldn't let education get in the way of school get in the way of your education. <laughs> <laughs> so, some of us did a reasonably good job of not letting it get in the way, but it's <laughs> that's a story for another time. Um, Dean, would you agree though? That there's oh, not absolutely. that degree bias. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, when you go to hire or when you go to bring someone on a team, it's just like in the, every probably every other industry. It's good to have. You know, it's good to have that experience, but. The most important aspects of it are usually, you know, can you work with the team? Can you communicate? Can you learn? Can you learn on the job? Just like you were saying earlier on, you know, the skills in this industry, I mean, even myself and the rest of the development team at Stream Guys, we are learning skills every three to six months that just, I mean, they don't wipe out the previous skills, but new tech comes out. So if you can adapt, if you can work with a team, if you can contribute and you can learn new stuff, that's the most important part about uh, looking for a new team member. Yeah. I. From my perspective on this, I think that's critical for another reason, and I want to I want to maybe talk about that. And that is for an awful lot of people, um, especially if you live in California, um, the ability to make a living or get by while you go to college is tough. There are a lot of Absolutely. people I know that have dropped out of school, out of college, just based upon the fact, you know, I needed to either have a job or go and go to school, and I couldn't do both. And I, because I think the perception is if I don't have a college degree, I'm not going to make it any place. I mean, we, um, from, from my experience, I have seen companies that are basically hiring what I would classify as entry-level salespeople that will not talk to anyone that doesn't have at least a bachelor's degree. Regardless of the degree, um, if you, if you want to sell insurance, if you want to sell, um, um, wholesale auto parts, it, they, they still are looking for salespeople who have a college degree. And I think for a lot of people, that becomes a roadblock. Um, it's good to hear, and I'm glad as part of this program, we can talk about the fact that this is really about what you bring to the table other than what piece of paper you bring to the table. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that college degree, uh, probably for the reason why that is, is that college degree, degree is representative of something, is that you can, you know, uh, complete something that you can communicate effectively. Uh, so that's probably why they put it as a limiting factor there. But there's other there's other areas you can look at to demonstrate those type of qualities. And so that's why that college degree isn't the most important thing, is you learn to look at yeah. other areas. Yeah, and actually in your case, I mean, you, you bring a degree to the table, but your degree had nothing to do with, I don't know if it had anything to do with tech from your perspective. Um, no, not really. Um, I try to include tech um, in my anthropology degree, but what I'm doing now is completely different um, than 3D printers printing out archaeological artifacts, that sort of thing. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, oh, I think... I'm going to follow up. That may be a good program in and of itself sometimes. <laughs> 3D printers with archaeology, never, okay. <laughs> Go ahead. But yeah, like I don't, I don't see it as a negative necessarily that I don't have um, as much tech experience as I probably expected to going in. Mm -hmm. um, it's actually, um, it's just a willingness to learn. I really think is is the biggest thing that you need going into to this. Just a willingness to learn, a willingness to get a little uncomfortable um, if it's not like your natural. Um, predisposition because I don't think it is mine in a lot of ways. Anthropology is a pretty big divergence, but um, I, I love doing it and I love the challenge of it and I'm really happy that I've had this opportunity. 
Okay. For those of you who may just be joining the program right now, we are talking to people from Slow Partners, which is a, a program through the uh, County Office of Education, and they're putting on um, some programs that we want to call Ticket to Tech, which um, in this case is a, an apprenticeship program we want to talk about some more. Um, and Ashley's with us. She's an apprentice um, at one of the companies that, um, that is involved in this. That's Stream Guys. And Dean is the uh, representative from Stream Guys and a senior developer there. And Michael, who's the executive director of Slow Partners. Um, so how long is the apprentice process? Is it to, when, you, when you get to this point at which Ashley is at, how long does that process take? Or does it go on until... So that's what's answer <laughs> this one, yeah. So that's what's nice. So we started with the the six the eight week pre apprenticeship program, mm-hmm. and then Ashley is very successful with that and was invited into the six week training for software testing, where she learned all the procedures and protocols for how do you test the developers code to see whether something else broke down the line and then how do you go and tell that developer team that they got something broken? <laughs> <laughs> that's where her strong customer service background comes in. Um and now she's been on, um, she's at like month six, month eight? I think seven. Yeah. I think seven. <laughs> seven months of on-the-job training. And now she's started the process of going into the next stage of a second apprenticeship, which will be towards, um, hopefully, towards software developer. So really what we were most intrigued with, and this was the innovative part of the grant, was how do you get people to that full-stack developer? That's the elusive um, that's the elusive goal that a lot of people are trying to go through. And how do you do it outside of a four-year degree? I think that the software testing path into the software developer path is starting to prove to have some, some worth where we can do something in two years, which might take a university four years, but you're going to have two years of solid experience with a company working on a developer team that really makes you stand out from other people. Because even someone who graduates from Cal Poly with a computer science degree, maybe they did an internship for a summer, but they don't have that range of experience, really, unless they had a lot of you know jobs or portfolio on their own. Yeah, and that's definitely something that we always look for is real-world experience, you know, uh, something that you did. So just even if you were, even if you come out of school with a CS degree, uh, we'd be looking for internships, you know, maybe you worked on a project that you, uh, did for free for someone, but that real world experience working on something that's actually a product or something that's going to be put out there in the market is uh, another invaluable aspect of uh, um, skills that you can learn outside of the traditional college degree. I, I don't want to turn this into putting you on the spot, Dean, or Ashley on the spot. Um, I'm wondering, do you, do you either of you look at this from a standpoint of, of Gee, you have an apprenticeship with your firm now, um, and what you're looking at is the potential for that apprentice to evolve into a specific job with you. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, uh, even before, you you know, as Ashley joined the team, uh, we're already looking at, you know, we were already looking at that track as to Mm -hmm. where she goes from, you know, after the joining and then, uh, you know, after the software testing if you like it you know because <laughs> you're never really sure if you know you might get behind and see the code and go nope you know what that's no not for me but mm-hmm. uh so you know just dynamically adapting to how uh 
you know, you're enjoying the job and then how uh, progressing and the needs of the company. But yeah, absolutely. Uh, mm -hmm. We're very much about that. So that's a possibility. And the flip side actually may be because you talked about wanting to go into um, to library science is maybe at some point you might decide to um, look at a firm that specializes in um, in in library and and technology cataloging as opposed to streaming um, yeah audio. Um, God I'd love to go back to library science in a way. yeah <laughs> um, okay. but yeah but, Dean I'm sorry if I just pushed <laughs> Put the idea yeah, in the head. Yeah, yeah. sorry about that okay go ahead I'm sorry. yeah go ahead. Um, I'm I'm approaching this as um, I am here to learn, and um, all these opportunities that are given to me by Ticket to the Tech or Stream Guys, um, this is this really is for me a progression, um, a way to plan out my future, and each is a little stepping block to get where I want to go. Um, but yeah, um, I think I would really like to stay with Stream Guys, though. It would be amazing if I could stay with Stream Guys. They have a great culture. Um, where people can move up the ranks, um, and I, I'm really glad that that happens. And um, and just they have a culture of people staying for a while and making a career out of something, and that's really attractive to me. So I have a lot of options now. Yeah, just for example there, uh, I've been with the company for eight and a half years now, and I started as a frontline tech support form and have moved up over the time to be a senior developer. So uh, it is a culture of promoting from within and promoting people to succeed from within as well. Yeah. Michael, what other fir firms in the area are you working with? I know um, in some of the notes I saw that um, that you you have some people who are apprenticing with Rabobank, I believe, down in Santa Maria. Yeah, we have 18 okay. local companies that we're working with. Okay. Um, Rabobank has a um, – their regional tech center is in Santa Maria, and we have a software tester down there and an IT specialist. We have um, a software tester at Amazon locally. Um, we have a number of uh, startups. Um, we have White Fox Defense. We have a software tester with them. Uh, we have two school districts that we have uh, network technicians working at, Orcutt School District and San Luis Coastal School, school District. Um, Let's see. We have a manufacturing, advanced manufacturing company that has a software tester. He didn't even know what a software tester was, but <laughs> manufacturing has increasingly <laughs> become so automated that when we described what the skills were and what you know what we were creating, and then we introduced them to our clients, he said, "Yeah, I want one of those." So trust so automation. They, so they were they were using. Um, software or they were developing software but they did not have a, a testing program for it. So Trust Automation does a lot of high-end advanced manufacturing and so within their um, whatever they're fabricating or making there could be a number of different nodes within the assembly line and each of those are controlled by different software and so a software tester would make sure that the programming is correct and it's not affecting something down the line. In the same respect we have a um, three software testers at IQMS in the North County. And that is a company that makes software for manufacturing companies. So it's a very, it really I've learned a lot about just these small um, entrepreneurial companies that are here in San Luis Obispo that this type of a program can really make or break them of whether they can expand and move forward. And as an educator, just understanding that and helping young people and parents understand that there's local opportunity here is really important. Um, I was, I've been an educator, a teacher for 20 years. I've taught history, library science, social studies, um, computer science and digital media. And really, um, 
having this kind of information to help influence programs at the high school and the community college, that's part of where this apprenticeship sticks out, that this can be just like a four-year degree, an apprenticeship could be, should be seen as a similar opportunity for anyone graduating from high school. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have you maybe go talk. My wife teaches middle school math. That's not a secret. Most of our listeners know I've referred to that before. She has students to this day that will say, why do I need to learn this? Because I'm never gonna use math again. Um, and I would say a good portion of what you do is, is math driven. And, um, There's an algorithm somewhere <laughs> in that code. Yeah. And, it's go- and, and you may not need to know the alg- algorithm to get it to work, but somebody had to write it, and that's a key factor from that standpoint. Thank you. Um, you if people want to get more information about this program, either because they want to, as manufacturers or people in already technology companies or just the community support it, um, and or if they're interested in, in being able to possibly be a student and apprentice with the program, um, how do they find you? Uh, we're really easy to find, slowpartners.org. <laughs> and um, just go to slowpartners.org. we got an easy-to-read contact page. We've got FAQs right there. We respond to all emails within 24 hours. Heck, it worked for Dean. He just cold yeah. called me right <laughs> there on the email. <laughs> That's good. And we were yeah. there. Our, sometimes our listeners forget that, that we, if, if you can't remember a, a, a web address, it's amazing what you can Google or, or Bing or whatever you want to use to find it. It'll, it'll, if it doesn't show up, even if – I'm the worst speller in the world. Even if I type it wrong, it still shows up. So if, that's helpful. If you call the county office of education, they know who I am. <laughs> <laughs> Good way to put it. You you do have some scholarship opportunities coming up, I guess, because there there are people who have um, you said have mentioned their concern about the financial side of this for for some folks. Yeah. So the um, the scholarships are for the actual full stack boot camp, and we have two full scholarships for recent grads and two half scholarships for recent high school grads. Um, and we also have one full-time scholar, uh, full, full-ride scholarship for women applicants and two half-time scholarships for women applicants. Okay. Sounds like a great program. As, um, as most of our listeners know, I try and get out of the way for a little while to make sure that you folks get a chance to talk about whatever part of this um, I may have missed um, and, and Dean, I'm going to start with you. So you've got a couple of minutes to pretty much make sure that we have a better understanding of why this works for you and why you're part of it. Sure, absolutely. I mean, I think you've done a great job covering it so far. But, um, you know, just to wrap up there, to summarize, um, it's great to have uh, not only the support from the community, but also the uh, pipeline that comes directly from uh, working with those people in the community, too. Uh, get applicants that have already been uh, screened, have already been trained, and are already looking forward to being uh, part of the tech industry here. Uh, that's an absolutely invaluable uh, resource, and uh, I can't say enough about you know I can't say enough about how much it's helped us as we've come down here and looked to expand. Um, real quick question: How mm-hmm. many locations are um, Stream Guys in? Two. This is just a yeah, just our second one. So uh, I got one office up in uh, Bayside, California, which mm-hmm. is right on the outside of Arcata, and then uh, one here. Although we do have some people distributed throughout the state of California. How many NPR stations do you stream? Do you uh, round figures. Round figure. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I'm not sure, but pretty close to them all, I'd say. Uh, I'm I'm not 
I'm, I'm not completely sure on that one. Yeah. <laughs> well, just for, for clarification, you're not here because of your connection to streaming our programming. You're we came here, here directly for you. Yeah, that's why. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> no, no. Oh, I, I don't. That, <laughs> I, I'm not going to believe that for a second. That's okay from that standpoint. Okay. Ashley, mm-hmm. tell us tell us about this program from your perspective and what fits for you. And I'll just get out of the way for a couple of minutes. Okay. Um, well, I really love that this program has been so supportive of, of women in tech, particularly. I think um, only 19% of women um, make up the tech workforce. Um, and I think it's just, uh, that's a shame. And uh, there should be more. <laughs> Um, I think we have a lot of great role models uh, that are women in tech that we don't really hear a lot about, like Grace Hopper and Dorothy Vaughn and Margaret Hamilton and my absolute fave, Hedy Lamarr, which was like this glamorous actress in the 1940s who's now considered the mother of modern Wi-Fi. Um, and I think just more women should get into tech. You, you need, I need a little more explanation of that. <laughs> Hedy Lamar is the mother of Wi-Fi. Yes, sir. You have a little bit of time. Can you give me a Absolutely. quick explanation? Okay. Um, <laughs> so Hedy Lamar was um, originally from Austria. She was Jewish during the war. She immigrated to the U.S., became a movie star, but she really wanted to contribute to the war effort. So she and a piano composer uh, tinkered around trying to figure out how to switch um, frequencies, radio hop, so they could um, actually send missiles without it getting hacked. <laughs> and diverted. And they figured it out. They used this um, piano. Uh, what is it? From their automatic pianos? They have player piano. Player pianos. Piano, yeah, they yeah. used that um, to achieve radio hopping. And, um, <laughs> yeah, like they didn't use it during the war, but they got, the Navy ended up using it later. Fascinating. Th- <laughs> thank you for sharing that with us. That is absolutely fascinating. You're welcome. Okay. Um, Michael, you're the, you're the guy that's the point man for this because you're the one that really knows how this works and why it does. And so it's you're on. Give me a couple of minutes to I think explain Ashley, what we need to know. Yeah, Ashley really gave you a couple of other stories on how why it's so important that we bring in such diverse talent and diverse viewpoints into tech because that's how you really are able to solve problems. You can always say, oh, we're looking for creative problem solvers. But this is the type of program with apprenticeship where – an apprentice is given the opportunity to gain experience. A business is given an opportunity to give that experience and embrace that diversity on their team. And it's a win-win situation for both where each side gets a return on investment. The apprentice gets that experience that can go towards any job, but most likely it builds loyalty with the business that they're working with. And the business really sees that they've got a career and talent and a pipeline in front of them that they can really start preparing for their business. That's why we're offering these scholarships. We're looking for recent high school graduates as well as women applicants to tech. Apply by August 15th. Go visit the Slow Partners website. Lots of FAQs there. Contact us if you need us. It's a great program. I I think the fact that our county office of education is doing this is um, speaks well for the the progressive nature of San Luis County, because um, I, I guess I, I can I can say this and, and and I won't make you responsible for it. I'm wondering why there's not programs like this going on um, in the high in, with kids out of high school and kids in high school um, in San Jose, because a lot I think a lot of the large tech companies in the larger cities, in my opinion, have kind of uh, turned their back on 
whether or not they want to work with some young people so to do this. So there are other programs um, like this throughout the state. We actually have a larger number of employers working with us than other areas. Um, I'll thank our um, superintendent-elect, Dr. Brescia, for embracing this entrepreneurial spirit as well as my own entrepreneurial spirit. But I think um, the difference what we found here in San Luis Obispo is we've got the employer partners. A lot of our um, the other grants that won up in the Bay Area, they're doing a good job of training. But maybe it's just the sharky nature of the Silicon Valley that the employer partners are not quite stepping up to the table. But here locally, I think our local employers are really embracing this idea of what apprenticeship means for future careers locally grown. Great. Thank you, Michael. I appreciate it. Um, this is Central Coast Voices. We thank you for joining us today. I want to remind you that that this is a production of Action for Healthy Communities, which is a project of the Community Foundation of San Luis Obispo County, along with KCBX Public Radio. Um, Chris Kington Barker and I alternate weeks. She, she'll be with you next week. She has a fascinating program. We don't have a list of her guests verified yet, but she's going to talk about the implications of people perceiving that fake news is fake news and how it affects both our society and how it taints um, information we're working with and how effective um, that perception is or is not for our ability to really hear the truth. That'll be her program next week. Um, Action for Healthy Communities is underwritten by a grant from uh, J- Joan Gellert Sargent, and we appreciate her support. You can reach us at KCBX, probably voices at kcbx.org or 805-543-2323. Thank you today to my guests, Ashley, Dean, and Michael, for a wonderful program. Coming up next is This American Life. This has been a wonderful opportunity to share with you some real technology innovations going on in our county and um, remind you that that's basically a regional-wide situation because um, this program is working with companies in the Santa Maria area also and working with companies that have a national presence. Thanks very much for being with Central Coast Voices today.